Let's start in Revelation chapter 3. Okay, so if I lift up this hand, you say, Hallelujah. If I say, lift up this hand, say, Amen. Something Bruce does, and it, and it works. Okay, so you, you're welcome to, to make noises, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I think mostly noise is more joyful than silence. So, um, so in this place, we welcome it when you participate. Um, if something strikes you, says yes or amen, or it helps you to stay awake also, and it helps you to receive. All right. Okay, so Revelation chapter 3. Just get my glasses on. Right. Verse 17 says, For, for you say, so it's now people making certain pronouncements because their attention is on what they can see in the natural and not on what they can see in the spiritual, okay? He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered and grown wealthy, I'm in need of nothing, and you do not realize and understand that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, Therefore, I counsel you to purchase from me gold refined and tested by fire, that you may be truly wealthy, and white clothes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nudity from being seen, and salve to put on your eyes, that you may, be, that you may see. So he says, the true riches is not necessarily the riches that you can see in the natural. He says, come to me and purchase gold that's Refined by the fire. So, and I, I suggest he's, he's speaking about faith. He's speaking about revelation in the word. He's speaking about uh, the treasures of the spirit, the treasures of Christ that we receive by faith. So, um, white clothes to clothe you to keep the shame of your nudity from being seen. He says, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. In Genesis chapter 3, if we go back, you know, to Genesis, I just want to draw this comparison to the, the treasure that they sought, which caused them, I'm speaking of Adam and Eve, which caused them to, to see and which caused them to realize that they were naked. All right, so if we go to Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature in the field which the Lord had made. And Satan said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, 
and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil and blessing and calamity. So it's taking one aspect that God protected them from, one knowledge that God protected them from. Oh, you will be like God in having this knowledge, okay? And when the women saw that the tree was good for food, that it was delightful to look at, tree to be desired and to make one wise. So that, was, that became a treasure for her, okay? She took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some also to her husband, and he ate. And then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron-like girdles. All right, so when, when people partake of the tree of the knowledge in good and evil, and when you listen to me, you, I'll keep on banging about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because to me that's just a fundamental thing. All right, so the tree of... The knowledge of good and evil, in one sense, opened the eyes of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve was a blank slate. They were, they were a, a clear canvas. They did not eat from the tree of life yet, and neither did they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil yet. So they had the choice. And Satan twisted the words of God. Satan said, listen, God is withholding something. You know, is it that God said, you know, so, he's, so it starts with reasonings. And a lot of doctrines that's coming out now, well, it's been around for a while, but there's doctrines that start with reasonings. Can it be that, God said, you know? They start off with, with, a, with a question, trying to question the premise that uh, of the word that you believe from Scripture, not giving you Scriptures, but questioning a Scripture, and then that becomes the foundation of faulty thinking upon which they twist other Scriptures to build upon it. To, to build a doctrine that, you know, you have to tear out books of the Bible to make the doctrine work. Okay? So, questioning questioning things that are fundamental, questioning things that causes you to know God. Uh, and I'm referring specifically to this um, inclusion thing. People say, oh, everybody is saved after the cross. No, the Bible is very clear to them that believe. <clears throat> God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes... <laughs> Might not perish, but have eternal life. So it's very specifically, those who believe are saved, those who believe not are condemned. That's Mark chapter 16. So it's so clear that uh, you, you have to really be deceived and twist, twist scriptures to believe that everyone is automatically saved after the cross. Because it clearly says it not, it's not the case. Okay? But it starts with a question. Would a God of love send someone to hell? No, they found it all by themselves. They didn't need God's help to get to hell. They found it all by themselves. But, so the question isn't, would a God of love send someone to hell? The question is, what did a God of love do? And the word says, 
the God of love in 1 John chapter 4, he says, in this the love of God was made manifest where we are concerned in that God sent his son to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the question is not would a God of, no, 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 what did that God of love do? How was that love manifested? The scripture clearly states it was clearly manifested in him sending his son to die for our sins so that those who believe on him might not perish but have eternal everlasting life. Do you see the difference? Now these questionings and these things start coming in. Okay, so now people get this idea their revelation of grace is so much greater than anyone else's revelation of grace. So they speak to you from the heights even though they're shorter than you. Okay, so they speak so lofty. They know everything. And don't worry, one day you will also get the revelation. You know, that kind of condescending nonsense. Like, I, I don't aspire to get your revelation because it's a load of trash. Okay, it's not that I don't know the doctrine. It's not that I don't know what you know. I, I'm well versed in what you want to say, but it's not true. Okay, so not you. I'm just speaking something out to a specific doctrine. All right, so... And the reason I bring that up is the way of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil questions what God says, brings knowledge to you that opens your eyes to something else, but it makes you aware of your shame and your guilt. So it brings unintended knowledge that wasn't part of the allure in the beginning. So the allure of the doctrine is, oh, there's so much grace. It's so wonderful, the grace. But the effect of it later on is that you lose your awareness of God and some people even lose their faith. Because that's the way this, this thing goes. It, most people who travel down this path end up being atheist or agnostic. Okay. So the moment you knock faith... You're stuck with the law, even though you color it in as grace. The law is not of faith, says Galatians chapter 3. So the moment you attack faith, you're stuck with law. Okay? All right. So it's only a, a forceful God that would say to someone, load shedding is off, okay, the alarms, okay, that would say to someone, just inform you, you are married to me, okay, without any choice. So if there's no faith involved, there's no choice involved, everyone is just saved, uh, it simply means that um, you have no choice in the love relationship in which you find yourself. That's called rape. <laughs> when, when intimacy is forced, it cannot be called intimacy. Okay, And God is not forcing himself on anyone. He took all our shame, all our guilt, all our iniquities, inadequacies, everything that we've done wrong, all the effect of us partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which caused and brought death. He took that death upon himself in the ultimate act of love. 
so that he could bring the life that raised Christ from the dead to you through a word that, ins- that is spirit-inspired. And when you hear that word and believe it, that same spirit comes to you and raises you to a new life. All right? So he says, you think you have grown rich. So in the one sense, Revelation chapter 3 refers to physical riches, refers to people that have grown rich financially and who love their money more than Revelation God. Sure, that fits in there. But I also want to add this. People who think that they have riches in knowledge in the Scripture, having what I would call grace pride, okay? So you have your doctrine not open to anything else, okay? Not open to any revelation from the Spirit. You know everything, okay? And then when you read, it's like, oh, look at what I know. Ooh, look at what I know. Oh, wow, I know. You think you've grown rich, but you're rich, pitiable, poor, and blind, and naked. Okay, so we need to, when we read the Word, we need to say, Lord Jesus, reveal to me your Word. I've never read this. I don't know this. I have no knowledge. Please show yourself to me. Please Reveal to me the riches of heaven. Please show me your goodness. Show me your grace. Show me what you meant. Show me afresh, even though you showed me yesterday. Show me today again a fresh revelation of who you are. I want to know you. Okay? And what tends to happen when you approach God that way is you will see what He what he constantly reveals the same way and deeper in the same way and what other ideas start to fade out. And then you can clearly see, oh, that wasn't really a revelation, was it? Okay? So when we humble our hearts in our approach to the Scripture and say to God, oh, Lord, I know nothing. I, I don't think I'm so rich. That doesn't say you're unthankful for what you have. doesn't say that's not, I'm talking about an attitude of heart. I am in need of nothing. I don't need someone to teach me. I don't need God to provide for me. I don't need God to speak to me through his word. I know everything. Okay? Not open to teaching. Not open to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That is what I believe Revelation chapter 3 speaks about, when it says, you think you have grown rich, but actually you're wretched. Actually you're pitiable. You don't really see it, but you're pitiable. You're poor. You think what you have is, a, is, is wealth, but it's not. You're blind. There's so much for God to reveal to you, but you're only stuck with what you see, insisting that you see when you really don't. Okay, and it's, it's an attitude of heart. And even, it, it may even be that we have truth, but we get stuck on one thing, and the truth that we got becomes the letter because we are not open to what the Spirit has to say today. Okay, so don't let truth that has set you free become a law in your heart 
to harden your heart against what the Spirit is saying to you today. Let the Spirit speak to you afresh today and trust Him to speak truth. Even if He says the same thing, let it be fresh, let it be new, let it be Him saying it and not you presuming that you know everything. And it's not about the actual information. It's about the life that comes when He speaks. It's about revelation coming through intimacy with Him. And intimacy is voluntary, definitely from His side, not forced. Okay? But He, he invites you. He doesn't force you. He doesn't go catch you like a slave and then force you into a corner. He invites you. Okay? So... Um, we need to understand this, that God is after our hearts. And he is constantly inviting us deeper into things that he has for us. He has a wealth of treasure, a treasure trove of revelation that he wants to share. But if we think, yeah, I know what this scripture says. Oh, I'm not going to read this. I know what this scripture says. Oh, I know what this scripture says. No. Read it anew. Read it fresh. Lord, I don't know what this scripture says. I want you to speak to me today. And rejoice in what it reveals to you as if you've never heard it before. Okay? Right, so... If a husband says to his wife, I love you. And, you know, he says that, you know, the first day that they get married, is it sufficient for him to say, I will tell you when my position changes, just assume this for now. And then 30 years goes by and she never heard those words. Or is it better if he says regularly, I love you? So guys, we can wake up to this one. I know we're not so good with this, these kind of communications. It's something that we all can grow in. Okay. But the, the point remains. Ladies, is it nice for you to hear your husband say, I love you, daily? Okay. So is it the same information? Or is it new information? <laughs> It's the same information, but it affirms and reaffirms and reaffirms something that is fundamental to your relationship, that is fundamental to your life. And every time you hear it, it brings life. And so it is with the Word. So when we read the Word, we, we see more. We see more of who he is. He reveals another aspect because the word is so rich. And we see him clearer and clearer and clearer. And our hearts grow in our relationship with him. We learn how to trust him more. We learn to, how to open up to him more. Okay? So, so it's not just this thing of God is distant somewhere you know, maybe in a formal office, you know, with leather chairs and leather-bound books and, you know, sitting there quietly writing. And you can't disturb him because he's busy, you know. 
Or, you know, the, the classical idea of God sitting there with his big beard on his throne and he's angry. You know, with his lightning bolts here and he's just waiting for someone who sent us. <laughs> People have these ideas of a distant God, of an angry God, of a stern God. So they just, you know, read from afar, okay, and then they handle him with care, with gloves from afar, but not opening up their hearts to really find out who he is. So you have all the theological knowledge. <laughs> you think you've grown rich. Man, the degrees stack up. I'm not against degrees. It's good. It's a good thing. Okay. But if those degrees don't translate into a depth of experience of a relationship with him, then you might as well, you know, almost said something you can't say in church. Okay, so... Right, so, we need to come to God and say, Lord, I want self for my eyes so I can see. Let the anointing come. Anoint my eyes. I want to see. I want to see more. I don't know everything. I want, to be, I want the shame of my nudity to be covered. So I don't want all the knowledge and then be aware of nudity, aware of shame. I want it to be covered with a white robe. You know, uh, Isaiah, uh, what's it, six, 61 verse 10. Is it? 61 verse 10. It says, he clothes us with a robe of righteousness. So he gives you a robe. He says, come and buy from me white robes so that the shame of your nudity won't be seen. So he says, come, get salve for your eyes so that you may see. Come to me and buy true uh, gold that's tested by the fire. So there's something that he wants to give to us that is better than we have, that is better than we know. And for that to happen, we need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I want what you can give me. Uh, what I have produced, what I think is sufficient for me, is not. Here I am. I open my heart. I humble myself. Please speak to me. I want eyes that I may see. Okay. So for us to see, uh, we need to get closer and closer to him. Okay. The anointing will reveal him. The anointing will open your eyes to the true vision of God to the truth of all the revelation that he has stored up in Christ. So your eyes can either be open to the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes open and you become aware of shame and guilt. But if, if that happens, automatically your eyes get closed and blinded to the true riches that he has for you. So, so it's a choice. You can't have knowledge of good and evil and life. You need to choose between the one and the other. And the one will reveal something, and the other one will reveal something. The tree of life will reveal Christ. It will reveal the true treasures. It will reveal who you are in him. It will reveal his love for you. And you will see him. And you won't doubt who he is because you will see him clearer and clearer. But the big thing of the tree of life is you don't know everything. You know him who knows everything, and you trust him. 
the tree of knowledge is you don't know him who knows everything, but you think you know everything. <laughs> you try to get as much information as you can to make your own informed decision independently from the Spirit of God without his involvement. That's the tree of the knowledge. It's a declaration of independence. Now, in an intimate relationship, a declaration of independence is not the goal. Dependence is the goal. To be more dependent on him. You don't show yourself to be more mature when you're more independent from God. You show yourself to be more mature when you are more dependent on him. Lord, show me. I want to see through your eyes. I want you to reveal to me who I am. I want you to lay the words in my mouth. I want you to show me everything I need to do. And that's how Jesus lived. He did nothing without seeing it first from, from the Father. He only did what he saw the Father do. And he only spoke what he sent him to speak. He did not speak of his own accord. So imagine the Son of God, the, the Holy One, the perfect one that all the prophets spoke about. Here he comes up, and he has no opinion. He knows everything, but he says, I speak nothing of myself. He's holy, he's perfect, but he gives honor to the Father, and he says, he, he separates himself and says, Lord, I need you, I need you, I need you. So, uh, what's it, Hebrews chapter 5 he says, I think it's around about verse 7. He says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up special definite petitions to him who was always able to hear him and save him from death. Um, and he was heard because of his piety towards God and in that he shrank from the horrors of being separated of, from the bright presence of the Father. So to him, the presence of the Father was absolutely everything. He was so dependent on the presence of the Father even though he himself was, if you read John chapter 5, uh, he gave him to be a, a life giver. He was a life-giving spirit in himself. But he said, like, I, no, I say nothing of myself. I only say what the Father says. I depend nothing on what I know. I only depend on what the Father reveals to me. And he was filled with life, filled with light. If he would say anything of his own, it would even coincide with the Father. It would, but they would, it, it would mean separation. It would mean independence. And he, uh, uh, he said, no, I, I shrink from the horrors of separation of, from the bright presence of the Father. I love that in the in Amplified. So nothing worse to Jesus than not being in the presence of the Father. And he had to fulfill Psalm 22. My father, my father, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine there on the cross, all the sin of the world, all the guilt, all the shame came upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay? Romans 5 uh, says... His righteous act following many transgressions led to justification. So all we could bring to the party is transgression. All we could bring to the party is us going on our own way, doing our own thing, not knowing anything. 
And he comes and he pays for each individual act the punishment of separation so that he could unite us back to the Father in himself and present us holy and blameless and spotless in himself. So we need to get how this relationship works. Jesus is in the Father. If you read, I'm so far from what I said, but almost in the same. Okay, so Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus. And he demonstrated it when he was walking, you know, in the days of his flesh. Um, what I always, you know, refer to, John chapter 1, verse 18, says, no one has ever seen the Father, but Jesus has come to declare him, to make him known. So, John chapter 14, if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1 together, he is the express image. He is the, the uh, sole expression of the unseen God. He's the visible representation of the invisible. So, if you saw Jesus, you just saw the Father manifested. Okay, John 17, Father, I pray that they may be one as we are one, as I am in you and you in me, that they may be one in me, that I may be in them and they may be in me. So because of our union with Jesus, we have access to the Father. So Jesus is the overlapping Jesus is the mediator. So Jesus and the Father is one. But now we and Jesus are one. He is the head, we are the body. He has filled us with the Spirit. So because of my unity with Jesus, I am now reconciled to the Father. Because of my unity with Jesus... I am now presented to the Father, holy, blameless, and spotless. The reason I'm presented holy, blameless, and spotless to the Father is because Jesus is holy and blameless and spotless in the presence of the Father, and I am in Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives. So you might as well say, I've been crucified with Christ. What I can understand, my vision of things, my opinion on things, died and has no right to exist. But it's Christ that is alive in me. So his words, his actions, what he sees, how he views the world, his, I don't want to even say his opinions because it's just the Father's word. He has no opinions of himself. Because we are one with Jesus, we have access to the Father. Okay. Jesus is holy and blameless and spotless. And Jesus is in the Father and with the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father. You have been washed and cleansed and you've been made one with Jesus when you believed. His words entered your heart. You have received the Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus to you. So the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to you. Jesus reveals the Father to you. Okay. So 
because of your unity and your oneness with Jesus, you, you are one with the Godhead. So, I don't know if we really get what it means. So, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is God. Okay. I'm not setting the scene to become new age. I'm not God. And you are not God. Okay? But by His grace, we have become one with Jesus, who is God. The one who is inside me is eternal. I am not eternal. I did not exist before creation in God. This pre-existence doctrine, that's part of the whole inclusion thing. Not true, sorry. Yes, but he knew me before I was formed. Yeah, do you know, I helped my parents design a home when their farmhouse burnt down. I don't know, like 10 years ago, longer, 12 years ago or so. So the house burned down, it was a thatched roof house, nothing was left. Okay, so it had to be completely demolished and I helped to design a house, the floor plan and everything. So for a couple of years, I lived and breathed and that, you know, a house was consumed me. <laughs> so I could walk through the house and see the house and make changes and alterations to the house before the house was built. But there was a time before the house existed. It became a thought. I walked around on the area where the house would be, and I walked around, okay, how do we live in this space? What do we need here? What, does, what do my parents want? What does my mother want in the kitchen? How does it need to be? We kind of want the stoop to be where it used to be. We kind of want to keep some form of what was, but there needs to be something new. And so I was thinking about this, and there were some ideas coming. So I, I had ideas, and as, as, you know, and my, my mother's cousin, you know, graciously is give, uh, made his assistant, he's an architect, he made his assistant um, available to me, and he helped me on the computer to get this whole thing, you know, and he helped me with the design. Okay, so before the house existed, I knew the house. Did God create you? Do you think you could know you before you existed? Does that mean you existed in God before? Or does it mean that he knew exactly what he wanted to make? Okay. Because if you existed, then why create you? If you could have had fellowship with him, then why make you in the first place? Now, the, the, the idea of this doctrine is now that the whole world is now saved and reconciled to God and everyone is just automatically forgiven, now you just realize that you are one with him and you remember who you really are and who you, you've been before creation. False doctrine, not true. There was a day before I existed, okay, and about nine months before my birthday, my own personal Big Bang experience, boom, and there I was. Okay. 
And so from that moment, I started existing, but I was being formed. Oh, Lord, where are we now? So God knew my personality. He knew what I would choose. He knew everything about my life. But he made provision for every mess, every character flaw, every fault, every issue that I would have long before on the cross, knowing I would need it. Okay? God knows you through and through. God knows that without him, you are dust. But in him, you step into the fullness of the new creation of what he wanted you to be, what he made you to be. Who you really are comes to life in fellowship with him. Okay? Outside of him, you just kind of try to make sense of what's around you and you try to, you know, associate with things around you and you become whatever is around you. But in him, the truth of who he made you to be just comes out. Unique but, and authentic, but you can see him in it all. Right, so... In union with him, when you have an attitude of heart, Lord, my life is in you. In you, I live and move and have my being. I cannot live without you. I, I will die without you. I don't think I have anything without you. I'm not okay without you. I'm dependent on you for my very next breath. In that union, people will start to see the reflection of God coming out in your life. And who you really are comes out. As your eyes open to the vision of Him, when you get to know Him more, people will see Him in you. Okay. Oh, there's so much I wanted to say. So, what's a sermon if I don't go to 2 Corinthians 3? Okay, so 2 Corinthians 3 verse 15 says, Down to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies on the hearts and the minds of people. Okay. So if you read Moses, what does Moses do? It's a distinction between what is right and what is wrong. Not revealing the Father, not revealing Jesus, not revealing the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit was revealed after the law was fulfilled. So the law will not reveal Jesus to you. But the Holy Spirit will, will tell you, will show you in the law how Jesus fulfilled everything in the law. But it's the Holy Spirit that shows it to you. But the law itself, when you read it, what does the law reveal to you? Yourself. It's a mirror that shows you where you miss it. It's a mirror that shows you all the ugly, shows you what you are not. 
It shows you the shame and guilt. It shows, gives you the knowledge that you are pitiable and poor and blind and naked. But do this, and then you will be like God. So everyone does it. And that's, this is the, the deception with the law, is you start to think that you can actually make it. So you get to a point where you think, well, I can't reach the standard, but at least I'm better than that guy. So we start to compare and we judge. So, so when you look at yourself, you feel condemnation. When you look at someone else, you feel self-righteousness. And if someone else measures higher than you, they're a hypocrite. And if they're lower than you, then, you know, they're bad. When you read Moses, you become blind. When you read Moses, you become well-versed in what's wrong. And you see everything that's wrong. So Jesus said, hey, before you want to take out the splinter out of your brother's eye, why don't you just take out the beam out of your own eye? And that speaks to the hypocrisy of the law. So, when Moses is read, veil, can't see. Can't see the Spirit, can't see the Father, can't see who I am in Christ, can't see the blood of Jesus, can't see the sacrifice that was paid for me, see nothing. All I see is myself and my sin. Okay? I exaggerate what I did good, and I try to hide under the carpet what I did wrong. But whenever a person turns in repentance to the Lord, verse 16, the veil is stripped off and taken away. So the re repentance, this part I've said a million times in this church. The repentance is from the law to the Lord. From knowledge in separation from Him, to him. That's repentance. You turn away from everything that you know how to run your life and look better so that you can, you know, convince everyone around you and your pastor that you're fine. By the way, I'm not the one that you need to convince. Okay. So, to him. And you just look into his face. Whenever a person turns in repentance to the Lord, the veil is stripped off and taken away. So then your eyes start to open up so you can see. Okay? Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Want to be free? Do you want to be free? I want to be free. So, that means I want to be where the Spirit is. Okay. That's freedom, is where the Spirit is. That's freedom. So, if you walk in some kind of manifestation of the Spirit, you walk in some kind of manifestation of freedom. Okay. Freedom is not, oh, I cast away all the bonds of your rules and your oppressive, what do they call it these days, um, the... Patriarchy, 
Okay. That's like the building like a zoo of oppression, of bondage. So, where the spirit is, there is liberty. So you need to turn away from knowledge, a way of thinking that says you're okay without God. That says you're okay with, by only looking at your own actions and your own knowledge. Two, fellowship with the Spirit. Okay. Where the Spirit is, there's liberty. And then he says in verse 18, And we all, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the word of the Lord as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image, in ever-increasing splendor, from glory to glory. Amplified says from one degree of glory to another. King James says from glory to glory. So glory, the fading glory of Moses, the glory that was to fade and pass away, to glory, the ever-increasing glory in the face of Jesus. Okay, so the one fades so you see less and less and less and less. You think you've grown rich. They were standing in that temple. Everything is gold. Everything is just, you know. I think the temple, you know, for everyone that wants the temple to be rebuilt, you know, last days, all those doctrines, uh, I think the temple is the greatest idol worship in the history of humanity. That is the idol. That is the great thing that Jesus came to destroy, to demolish, break down this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. The temple of, Mo of Solomon will never be rebuilt. It's an idol. It's a symbol of bondage. Touch, feel, see, realm. People think they've grown rich, but they're wretched. If you want the real riches... If you want the real truth, you need to have him and be content with him. Not with what you can control. Not with what you think you can explain. Not with what you think you know. Okay? Sorry for kicking up dust over the whole rapture thing. Just in case anyone was wondering, we're not going anywhere. Jesus is coming here. If your eyes are open and your eyes are on him, you'll see that your purpose is to reflect him into the world and not to cower away in a corner and wait until he snatches you away. We, we need our eyes to see. We need our eyes to, to be opened. For our eyes to see... We need salve to put on our eyes so that we may see. If we insist that we do see, okay? Second, my bro is cussing so much. If we insist <laughs> that we do see, but we don't take the revelation of the Spirit in the Scriptures, then what can He do to us? What can he, what can, how can He help us? What, how much 
can the blood of Jesus do for us if we reject the revelation of the word? Okay. So let's just quickly go to John chapter 9. So in John chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man. As he passed along, he noticed a man blind from his birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who is sinned? So immediately going for the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> who is sinned? This man or his parents that he should be born blind. How can you sin which will cause you to be born blind? That's strange. But anyway, strange question. Jesus answered, it was not this man that this man or his parents sinned, but he was born blind in order that the workings of God should be manifested in him. Okay. Right, so uh, Romans chapter 8 says, let's just quickly go there and read it. Oh man, I didn't even touch on half of what I wanted to say. Okay. Sorry, let me just look for my scripture. Okay, I'm just wasting time. Someone can just give me the scripture reference. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Romans 8. Okay, can someone just give me the reference? Because I've scratched so much I can't see. Okay. 28. Thanks. We are assured and know that God being a partner in their labor, all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good to and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. Okay? Called according to his purpose. Okay, just back to John chapter 9. It is not that this man or his parents sinned, but he was born blind in order that the workings of God should manifest, displayed, illustrated in him. We must work the works of him who sent me and be busy with his business while it is daylight. Night is coming on when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the world's light. 
and then he spat on the ground. You know, three rat and made some clay and okay. The blind blind man is just what's happening? What's he doing? You know. Right. So then he sent him to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. All right. We must works, work the works of him who sent me, be busy with his business while it is daylight. Night is coming on when no man can work. Okay. So the purposes of God. What is the purpose of God with this blindness? Why was he born blind? This is like God makes all things work for his purpose. The only purpose blindness can have is to display the works of God. Okay? So don't ask the sin question. Don't ask, why am I in this mess? If you really want to know Adam and the tree of knowledge, that's why. Okay? So just take it back there. That's the quick route. Okay. So how do we get out of this? Well, God will use any situation to display himself, to make himself seen in, in the situation. Okay, so he made clay, put on the eyes, sent him to sent. So he sent him to a place called sent. And he came back seeing. Okay, just think of this. When God sends you, when you go, even though you cannot see all of his purposes, when you go to sent, you will come back seeing. Walk where he sends you, even though you don't see it all. As you take a step, boom, it opens up. You take another step, it opens up. You take another step, and it opens up. As you go, it will get clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. Okay, just think of First of John chapter 4. It says... Um, let us love one another. He says, by this we, we know and understand God. So the more we love one another, the more we understand him. So he sends you to do something. He sends you to love one another. He sends you to show him to the world. The more you do it, you more, the more you see, the more you understand. Some things he can only teach you through experience. So when he directs you, just go. Just trust him. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know him who knows everything and trust him. And that's the point. That's where life comes from. That's how you see. Seeing means I trust him. But if you try to see everything beforehand, you will not see what he sees. You will only see everything that you want to see. And you will make your decision based on what you can see and what you can control. So then your God is fear. Okay. All right, so. As long as I am in the world, I am the world's light. But he also said in Matthew 5, you are a city, a city, you are the light of the world. So do you know that Christ is in you? Do you know that he is the world's light and that you have been sent to, the, to, the, to be the world's light? Do you know that Ephesians 5 says you are sons of light? Do you know that 
James 1 says he's the father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. So do you know that you were darkness, but now you are light? Again, Ephesians 5. So you're supposed to shine the light. He's inside you. So you who see what he shows you can bring vision to others as you demonstrate him, as you demonstrate the works that you see him do, as you say what you hear him say. Okay. Let's keep on reading. It says, okay, so they interrogated him because his eyes were opened. I need to skip a lot of things because I spent too much time on other stuff. Okay. Let's just fast forward to verse 38. He said, Lord, I believe. Okay, this is now the blind man. He met him outside the synagogue and Jesus revealed himself to him. He was blind before he didn't see Jesus, so Jesus revealed himself. He says, Lord, I believe. Okay, verse 39. Then Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment as a separator in order that there may be separation between those who believe on me and those who reject me, to make the sightless see and to make those who see become blind. Some Pharisees who were near, hearing this remark, said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But because you now claim to have sight, your sin remains. Okay? If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But because you insist we do see clearly, you are unable to escape your guilt. All right. So Jesus came to show the Father. Everything he did, he does it by the power of a devil. Everything he, he said... You can't say that. You're breaking the Sabbath. You're doing this. You're doing this. Accusing him, standing against him, standing against him. Okay. He came unto his own. His own received him not. He showed them the works of the Father. We must do the works of the Father while it is daylight. He showed them, but they didn't see it. He revealed the unseen. He's plain as day. He showed them the miracles. I mean, he fed the 5,000. And then they followed him again because they wanted bread. John chapter 6. It's like, did you not see what just happened? I mean, he just fed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. Okay? Mark chapter 8. Can I have to push a little bit? Oh my goodness, how am I going to finish? Okay, that's my own fault, sorry. <laughs> okay, Mark chapter 8, verse 18 says the following. They dis uh, Having eyes, let's read verse 17. Being aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why are you reasoning and saying, it is because you have no bread. Do you not dis yet discern or understand? Are your hearts in a settled state of hardness? 
Having eyes, do you not see with them? Having ears, do you not hear and perceive and understand the sense of what he said? And do you not remember? Okay. Okay, actually, it gives that, that example. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many small hand baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many large provision baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said, seven. And he kept repeating, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him caught the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. When he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So I believe he opened his eyes in the spirit first. Then he put his hands on his eyes again, and the man looked intently, that is, fixed his eyes on definite objects, and he was restored and saw everything distinctly, even what was at a distance. Okay. God wants to open our eyes. He wants to show us, but many people don't even, because it looks so natural, God will open someone's blind eyes. God will heal someone's backache. God will, you know, provide miraculously for some kind of need. I just want to say, recognize when he does something. Realize, I just saw God showing himself to me. When you pray and someone's little pain in his pinky goes away, recognize, I just saw something. God just showed me something. The unseen God manifested himself so that I could see it with my eyes. So when you see, see. Don't be like it says, having eyes do you not see with them. And he refers to miracles. You want to see in the Spirit? Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to see more of revelation, more of him? Then recognize when he shows himself to you. Okay? He will reveal himself more when you are, firstly, when you're busy with what he sent you to do. And when you recognize what he's doing in your midst. Okay? When you give him glory, when you give him praise for it. Okay. Okay. I just want to quickly go to... Okay, I'll just refer to this. We can't read all of it. Matthew chapter 20. Uh, there were two blind men. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, we want our eyes opened. Okay. And he... he Touched them instantly, they received their sight and followed him. That to me is just such a nice analogy. Lord, I want my eyes open. Instantly, their eyes were opened and they followed him. Okay? All right. All right, Romans chapter 2, and then we're done. Sometimes we know too much. We think we know too much. We think we know 
when you don't don't read the Bible with all your Bible knowledge. Just let him speak to you. Okay? Or with all the knowledge of all the courses that you've we just did, did a course on the prophetic, and that's great. But don't approach God with everything you know. Let him change anything you know at any time. <laughs> Keep your heart open. Okay. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Okay. But if you bear the name of Jew and rely upon the law and pride yourselves in God and your relationship to Him and know and understand His will and discerningly approve the better things and have a sense of what is vital because you are instructed by the law, and if you are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, and that you are a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the childish, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, while then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you teach against stealing, do you steal? You who say not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor and loathe idols, do you rob temples? Do you appropriate to your own use what is consecrated to God, thus robbing the sanctuary? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Okay. For as it is written, the name of God is maligned and blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Okay. All right. Now if we just page over to Romans chapter 3. Now, just see the answer to all of this. Okay? Verse 23. Since all have sinned and are falling short of the honor and glory which God bestows and receives, all are justified and made upright and right standing with God freely, gratuitously, through the redemption which is provided in Christ. By His grace, through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat, propitiation by His blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation to be received through faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over and ignored former sins without punishment. It was to demonstrate and prove at the pre present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies and accepts as righteous him who has true faith in Jesus. Okay. Listen. The law will give you so much knowledge. It will, there's so much knowledge to be had. There's so many scriptures in the law and in the prophets. And if you see Jesus Christ on every page, you will have true riches coming out of those scriptures. The law, everything Jesus is, is foretold in the law and the prophets. So I'm not knocking the Old Testament, but see Jesus in there. Okay. But if you see yourself and you insist that you see and that you are a corrector of the blind. 
Okay? That's what they spoke about in John chapter 9. Okay? Are we also blind? It says, because you insist that you see, having the knowledge of the law, your sin remains. If you were blind, knowing, oh, wow, Lord, show me. And he comes and he opens up your eyes. Eyes that you may see. That you can see him for he is. You start recognizing the works of God. You start recognizing the Spirit. You start recognizing the miracles that he shows. You recognize God. It's those who believe. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But to as many as believed gave you the power to become sons of God. Okay. You will see more and more as you believe. Okay? But if you try by your own knowledge, thinking you know everything, he says, your sin remains. Okay. So how does that translate into the gospel? Well, it's simply this. The very law that people try to uh, fulfill will accuse you. If you abandon all the knowledge that blinds you, the knowledge that keeps you away from Christ, that corrupts your heart with the knowledge of sin, and you focus only on knowing Him. Lord, open my eyes. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to have a real sense of who you are. Show me the Father. Show me who you are. I want to do what you sent me to do. Okay? Remember uh, John 14, 21, Jesus said, if anyone has my words and keeps it, he's the one who really loves me, and I will love him and will show myself, clearly manifest myself to him. Okay? Verse 23, and I and the Father will come and abide with him. So, Lord, I want to be, go to that place called saint. I want to come back seeing. I want to do what you call me to do. I want to walk in the things that you, you know, I want to see. And I want to do what you show me. I want to see. I want to say what I hear you say. Okay? The more you look to the face of how he shows you, the clearer it becomes, the more he shows himself to you. But any knowledge outside of him, it will blind you, it will keep you in bondage, but it will convince you that you know everything. Okay. So, you know, the scripture says knowledge puffs up. Let me just say this. The knowledge of Jesus Christ cannot puff you up. It's by faith, it's by grace, pride is excluded. But brother, the knowledge of the law, and the context was the knowledge of demons and, and idols. The more people know about demonology, the more people know about idols, yes, but you know it's this kind of demon and it's that kind of... You can't say anything, they know better. Jesus didn't say study the idols. Jesus didn't say know everything about the demons. He just said cast them out. Okay? With a word. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Okay? Right, so just say the following. Lord,
Give me eyes that I may see. Let your anointing come. Touch my eyes. Open my eyes. I want to see you. I want to hear you. I want to see you work in my life. I want to hear your voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so thank you, Jesus. I just pray that you just use this word in some way and bring revelation in every heart in Jesus' name.